Psalms of the Passion, we consider yet another Psalm, Psalm 69. This psalm was a psalm written by King David, but it is very clearly messianic, especially as we see a connection in verse 9 that the disciples themselves remember when Jesus overturned the tables, how the zeal of the Lord consumes him and the zeal for his house. But especially we think about verse 21 in our lesson for today. Something that's mentioned there that connects in no way to David's life, but certainly to the life of the Messiah. As he suffers on the cross, as he cries out, I thirst, but he's only given sour wine to drink. And so we consider his words this evening, the words of the Messiah, as a prayer in which he offers to the Heavenly Father. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink into the deep mud where there is no place to stand. I have entered deep waters and the rapids rush over me. I am worn out from my crying. My throat is sore. My eyes are blurry as I wait for my God. Those who hate me without reason outnumber the hairs on my head. Those who want to destroy me, my lying enemies are strong. I must repay things I did not steal. God, you know my folly and my guilt is not hidden from you. May those who place their confidence in you not be put to shame because of me, O Lord, the Lord of armies. May those who seek you not be disgraced because of me, O God of Israel. It is for your sake that I bear scorn. Shame covers my face. I have become a stranger to my brothers, a foreigner to my mother's sons. Yes, zeal for your house consumes me. The scorn of those who scorn you falls on me. I wept as I fasted, but this only brought insults to me. When I wore sackcloth as my clothing, I was a joke to them. Those who sit in the gatehouse gossip about me, and the songs of the drunks are about me. But I direct my prayer to you, O Lord, for a time of favor. God, in the greatness of your mercy, answer me with the certainty of salvation from you. Rescue me from the mud so I do not sink. Let me escape from those who hate me and from the deep waters. Do not let the rapids rush over me. Do not let the deep swallow me up. Do not let the pit close its mouth over me. Answer me, Lord, for your mercy is good. According to your great compassion, turn to me. Do not hide your face from your servant. Because I am in distress, hurry, answer me. Come near, redeem my soul, ransom me because of my enemies. You know my disgrace, my shame, and my confusion. All my foes are in front of you. Disgrace has broken my heart, and I am helpless. I waited for sympathy, but there was none. I waited for comforters, but I did not find any. Instead, they put bitter poison in my food. For my thirst, they gave me sour wine to drink. Lord, these are your words, and therefore they are your truth. We ask that you'd increase our faith through them. Amen. Dear fellow redeemed, what comes to mind when you think of someone who has a broken heart? I think of, for a lot of us, we probably think of romance, right? We probably think of the young man who has fallen head over heels for a certain young woman. He believes that she's the one. He believes that they're going to get married and they're going to spend their entire life together. But then she crushes him as she tells him we're breaking up. There's other times that we use that term, too, right, uh, to have a broken heart. I, I think one such time is maybe as we describe our emotions and our feelings or maybe our empathy for someone else, as we say maybe our heart goes out to them or maybe even our heart breaks for them. I know sometimes that phrase is used in that way as we know that someone has gone through so much, a great loss, and we say that we have a broken heart. 
because we feel for them and we feel for what they're, they're going through. Well, this evening in our lesson, we hear this from the Messiah. Disgrace has broken my heart, and I am helpless. We think about him and his affliction as he is enduring so much suffering and disgrace, even at the hands of sinful men, and remarks that his heart is even broken. But as his heart is broken, we also think about his prayer, his prayer that he offers to the Heavenly Father. Is that prayer that we consider this evening the prayer of the brokenhearted? We understand that it's a prayer that shares affliction with God, but it's also a prayer that trusts in God for salvation. Verse 2, the Messiah cries out, I sink into the deep mud where there is no place to stand. I have entered deep waters and the rapids rush over me. A number of years ago when we were living down in Florida, I did one of those mud runs. Maybe you've heard of one of these things too. Uh, It's kind of an obstacle race, obviously through mud and other things, usually a 5K race or so. And I have to admit, I was enjoying myself quite a bit. I thought I was doing pretty well in the race. thought I'd probably rank even in the top 10, maybe for my age group, about two-thirds of the way through. Then all of a sudden, I hit the mud. I'm not talking about a little mud puddle that would have stained my clothing. I'm talking about deep, sticky mud. And it was about a football field length of, of this obstacle that I had to get through, and I couldn't believe it as first my foot went in, then my ankle, then my calf. Soon I was up to my knees in this mud. And I could hardly move because it was so sticky. And I looked beside me and I'd see people's shoes inside of the, the holes where their feet had gone in before. And I, I think about that experience and I think about that as compared to what's said here, to think about especially the Messiah as he cries out to God as he's stuck in the mud. And to think about everything that he's suffering is so overwhelming. His affliction that he can hardly move. He can hardly think to the next because what he's enduring is so horrific. In the following verse, he goes on though. He says, I am worn out from my crying. My throat is sore. My eyes are blurry as I wait for my God. You think of his expression there as raw and real, right? That is... His eyes are watering with tears. His throat is sore. Why? He's waiting on God. He's waiting on God for his help, but where is he? You maybe think of Jesus on the cross as he cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Where is God to help him? And he expresses this. He expresses this in his prayer. But he goes on, God, you know my folly and my guilt is not hidden from you. We might wonder about that verse. Out of all the verses that we read, that one in particular jumps out, and we might wonder, how could this possibly be the words of the Messiah? After all, the Messiah was the sinless Son of God. How can he talk about his guilt before God? We know the scriptures well, don't we? We know of what they say in Isaiah 53. The Lord has charged all our guilt to him. Or in 1 Corinthians 5, God made him who did not know sin to become sin for us. He expresses to the Father how he is being punished rightly for sin. Punished for crimes he did not commit, and yet suffering rightly and justly. He continues to go on as he laments even the cruel actions from others. I wept as I fasted, but this only brought insults to me. 
When I wore sackcloth as my clothing, I was a joke to them. I waited for sympathy, but there was none. I waited for comforters, but I did not find any. Instead, they put bitter poison in my food. For my thirst, they gave me sour wine to drink. We think about him in the midst of his suffering as he looks for sympathy, as he looks for comfort, even for mankind, as he suffers so much for mankind, and yet all they offer him are laughs and insults. All they offer him, even for his thirst, sour wine. Through all of these sentiments, we see something real, something raw, don't we? We don't see a a sugar-coated Christianity that's sunshine and rainbows all the time, but true suffering, suffering that the Messiah endured. And we understand we, too, at times have our own sufferings and our own losses that we experience in life. And yet, what does God want us to do in the midst of those? He wants us to cry out to him, to pray to him, even when our hearts are broken, to, to let God know everything that we're going through. Why does he want us to do that? Well, it's been said that it's beneficial to let your emotions out, especially as you, as you feel uh, certain emotions over a horrific loss or a horrific tragedy or affliction that you're going through. It's been said that it's therapeutic just to tell someone else what you're going through. But it's more than that. It's more than that that God wants. God wants to hear what we're going through. God wants to hear our suffering because he cares. It's like a a mother who wants to hear always what her child's going through, even if that child is completely at fault. And the reason it's going through so much difficulty is because of what it did, because of what that child did to, to mess up. But the mother wants to hear because she cares, but she also wants to help. God's the same way, too. He wants to hear what we're going through. He wants to hear our suffering, but he wants to help. As we remember that other psalm, Psalm 50, verse 15, where it says, Call on me in the day of distress, I will deliver you, and you will honor me. God says, cry out to me in the midst of your distress. I I care, I hear, and I want to help. It's interesting to note, despite all the Messiah expresses concerning his affliction and suffering, yet he does trust in God to deliver him, doesn't he? He says, I direct my prayer to you, O Lord, for a time of favor. God, in the greatness of your mercy, answer me with the certainty of salvation from you. Rescue me, turn to me, do not hide your face from your servant. Come near, redeem my soul, ransom me. An immense amount of trust from him. Even though he, he's going through so much, yet he, he looks to God to deliver him, to save him. God certainly wants us to look to him for help in time of our distress. And we might wonder, as these are the words of the Messiah, did God do that? We think about Jesus crying out to his heavenly father as he was in the midst of distress. We think about him in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? As he tells his disciples to wait with him one hour, as he's in in the midst of of such distress, they can hardly stay awake. And so he cries out to the father, and he says, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. In anguish, he cries out to God for help in the midst of his distress and trouble. But God doesn't take away that cup of suffering, does he? 
But God does do something to help. We think about Jesus when he's in the garden as he's praying so fervently as his sweat is like drops of blood falling to the ground. What does God do? He sends an angel. He sends an angel to strengthen him, to strengthen him for the road ahead. But again we wonder, how can it be said that God delivered him if God had him suffer so? If God allowed him to be arrested, as we heard in our readings tonight, if God allowed him to be wrongfully accused, if God allowed him to be mocked and to be struck again and again, to allow those crown of thorns to be pounded into his head and the nails to be placed in his hands and feet, if he allowed him even to suffer hell itself, how could it be said that God delivered him? Where was God in the midst of all of this? You know, we think about, for those here that are parents, you know, if your child is suffering, or if your child's life is in danger, wouldn't you as a parent do anything to keep that child safe? Wouldn't you do anything to spare that child's life? So where is the Heavenly Father? Didn't he love his son? He certainly did. I think about many times in Jesus' ministry, even that voice from heaven saying, this is my son whom I love and whom... And well pleased. It was certainly true. So why? Why does God not deliver him? Why does God allow him to drink that cup of suffering to its depths? Again, we hear from Psalm 53. It was the Lord's will to crush him and to allow him to suffer. That seems so cruel and so heartless of God. This was God's will that Jesus suffered. He wanted Jesus to go through all of this torture in agony? Yes. It wasn't because he didn't love his son. He truly did, but it was especially because he loved us. It's because God knew that that was the only way that sinners like you and me could be redeemed. The only way that we could be spared the eternal sufferings of hell was through Christ going to the cross in our place for us. He knew it was only through the shedding of his blood that we could be forgiven. But the amazing thing is even though God did allow him to suffer there on the cross, even though he suffered hell, even though God forsook him there as he suffered that hell, God did not abandon him forever. We think about the words of the Messiah in another psalm, Psalm 16. You will not abandon my life to the grave. You will not let your favored ones see decay. Isn't that interesting to think about? To think about the Messiah this evening crying out to God to express everything that he's going through, his agony and suffering and calling to him, save me, help me, deliver me, redeem me. And it seems as if God is just going to let it all happen and God doesn't care at all for him. But God does allow him to suffer for that specific purpose of redeeming mankind, and yet God does not abandon him forever, does he? He does not abandon his life to the grave. He doesn't let his favored one see decay. But he ultimately rescues him from death in the grave, doesn't he? And I think there's something important for us to learn in that for ourselves, too. As we think about all of our afflictions and our sufferings and our troubles that we go through as well in our lives, as we cry out to God concerning all of those things and we ask God to help, we ask God to deliver, 
Sometimes God takes that suffering away, but sometimes he allows it to remain for a while. And we don't always know the purpose for which he does that. You know, we think about the Apostle Paul as he cried out to God three times to take that thorn in the flesh away from him. But God responded, no. He said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. But just because he allowed Paul to suffer, it didn't mean that he didn't love him. It didn't mean that he wasn't going to deliver him. And the same is true for you and me as well, that God can allow suffering for a time. He can allow us to experience devastation and loss, and he wants us to cry to him and call out for deliverance. God even allows us to die. But he doesn't abandon us to the grave, does he? He yet delivers us even from death itself. And he has promised us eternal life. And the reason we can know that is because of what his son did for us. Because of the Messiah's suffering and death on the cross. Because he went into the grave and came back victorious. We can be confident that our own sins are taken away. And as much as we endure in this life, we have eternal salvation promised by God and his word. Psalm 69 reveals to us a broken-hearted Savior who cries out to God. Cries out to God, expressing all that he is going through and God wants to hear. But he also cries out trusting that God will deliver him ultimately. Praise be to God that he has done exactly that. That he has allowed his son to suffer for us, but also that he has not abandoned him to the grave. And because of this, we can be confident that even in the midst of our sufferings, God will not abandon us to the grave. But God will deliver us as he's promised and give us eternal life through his son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Invite the congregation to please rise. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be forevermore.